morning, everybody. Um, thank you for your patience um, and welcome to the new hybrid Milton Access TV, Milton High School studio. We're really excited to call the meeting to order tonight in this um, in this new space where we can have hybrid meetings here on our on our home turf. Um, I would like to thank the town of Milton for welcoming us to town hall for the past few months of our meetings. Um, but it's great to be back and I really would like to thank Shane Brandenburg, the executive director of Milton Access TV for helping us get the technology in place to have our meetings here. Um, Sean and Jason who are behind the scenes and help all the time. Tom helped a lot at our meetings in town hall. So um, thank you to you guys. Um, and before we approve the agenda, uh, let's, there, the flag ended up over here. We'll pledge Everybody heard me thanking you and your team. <laughs> um, so, uh, in approving tonight's agenda, I, I believe we're going to postpone the vendor warrants. Um, are there any other changes uh, to the agenda this evening? Okay. Um, so, we can go ahead and approve that and move along to our citizen speak portion of the agenda um, where we set aside up to 15 minutes for members of the community to come and share their perspectives with us for up to three minutes per person. Is anybody in the audience here for citizen speak this evening? <coughs> Dr. Pavlicek, do you see anybody on Zoom? No, I don't. All right, in that case, we'll just keep moving on to the superintendent's report. <laughs> Peter. Great, thank you. Um, so I'm gonna give a, a brief update before we get to our main event, which is our Tucker Elementary School Site Council. Um, thanks all for being here, excited to, to hear from you. Um, so I'm gonna go through a few things happening right now. Um, obviously, we're, we're headlong into our budget, um, but we're gonna get an update Later on, I just wanted to share um, on my report, um, been working with principals to um, kind of come together and, and look at the process anew. Uh, we are, uh, have had a few meetings. We're, we're um, kind of moving forward, looking at, at needs district-wide, um, really kind of trying to front that, that conversation around vision and, and what does this budget represent? Um, so th this is work that you know a few people in, in um, a few principals mentioned that they thought they were excited about the work and said they could see how we could grow year to year in this process in, in terms of budget development to, to get clearer about the work that we're doing and our why. Um, so that, that was pretty exciting. Um, another thing um, on tap right now, I 
have a meeting this week or next week, we're putting together a website team to begin the process of looking at a website redesign. Raise your hand if you think that's a good idea. <laughs> um, I, I think it's overdue and you know, it's part of our overall, you know, looking at all of our um, communication and, and working towards clarity, um, a, a no, de no dead link policy. <laughs> and, um, and, and I think also just kind of modernizing some things too, making things just kind of look nice as well. Uh, so that, that is happening. We're, our plan right now is to do that work over the next months. We're probably looking at pressing play over the summer when our, our team will have time to do all the uploading and, and other work. Uh, I am also, um, and I've talked to a few of you and, and others um, in the district about logo as well and a, a logo redesign process. So that's something that is also coming. Um, excited to to have an MPS logo, which we currently we kind of have a logo we share with the high school. We have an M, which is sometimes used. Um, our letterhead is just a town of Milton emblem with school written across the. It's not really ours either, uh, so that that will um, kind of be coinciding with this, and and I foresee that being a community. Uh, activity where, where people are engaged and a part of, of helping us envision like what a logo might look like so uh, that's coming we um, last night the select board approved uh, ARPA funding for um, an additional bus uh, Glenn is working with um, first student and figuring out how to the, the kind of the best way to, um, to to pick up students, you know, in terms of the students that remain on the wait, wait list. And <coughs> we are starting to communicate with families too to let them know as we figure out what that route will look like. Um, so that's exciting and, and grateful that the town's supporting us in that. Uh, calendar development is underway. We're having conversations uh, within our curriculum leadership, um, within our central office leadership talking about our current calendar looking at pros and cons of you know what what's what works for students and families what are the needs of, of professional development and and doing the work of the strategic plan we need time with staff to do that work so we're looking at all those things and and working to balance them uh, and that that work is happening over the next month or so and um, We'll be bringing that forward here at some point. Um, a couple dates that uh, Charlene wanted me to mention. Um, a preschool, uh, these are nights established for preschool and kindergarten information. Uh, preschool is January 11th. This is just for folks listening in. Uh, kindergarten is January 25th. And more information to follow as time gets closer. And I don't know how many people are going tomorrow night to the play, but the play is, starts tomorrow night and goes through Friday and I think Saturday too. Uh, I'm gonna go tomorrow night and uh, excited for Susical. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's my, that's my update. Thanks, any questions? <coughs>
thank you for seeing through that um, bus. Yeah, that's great. Well, thanks news. to those of you that helped to also make it happen. So with that, the Tucker team come up and. Before you begin, maybe we'll do introductions so you know us, and then you can introduce. Okay. Glenn, do you want to start? Uh, Glenn Bavlicek, Assistant Superintendent. My name is Bao Chu. I'm a school committee member. Selena Miranda, school committee member. Lizzie Carroll, school committee member and chair. And Annie, my daughter, is in fourth grade, and Julia is in first grade at Tucker. So thanks for being here. Peter Burrow, Superintendent. Beverly Ross Denny, it's nice to see you, Dr. Tucker, and it's nice to finally meet other members of your team. I have a fourth grader at Tucker. She's happy to be here. Thank you for all that you do. Anna Varghese, school committee member. Mark Loring, school committee member. Kathy Kim, assistant superintendent. I'm Justine Novak. I am a fifth grade teacher, but I'm also a parent of a college class student and a peer student. And Dr. William Carter, interim principal. Caroline Morton, um, assistant principal and curriculum coordinator. Awesome, so the floor is yours. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, good evening, members of the school committee. Uh, thank you for your continued support and the many ways you've partnered with school leadership and the extraordinary team of educators we have to advance what we're doing at Tucker. We're just truly thankful for all that you've done. And we're really excited to have the opportunity to share a lot of the exciting things that are happening at Tucker. So this is our agenda. Uh, we will be providing a snapshot of who we are, our, our school improvement goals, our look-fors, and then the Tucker experience. Here's a list of our school, uh, school's council membership. Um, our membership is very similar to the members that we had last year uh, with just a few additions. We have a few new parents um, and on the committee. And we have one additional parent representative as well this year, which is a great addition. This slide represents a snapshot of who we are as a school community and numerically represents the targeted work that we're doing in each grade level to ensure maximum outcomes for all of our students. I really want to thank the school committee again for your continued support and partnership. There are several places where your ongoing support has provided a tangible impact in our school community. Specifically this year we have more building-based uh, interventionists uh, than we've had in the past, which has really allowed our educators to provide very targeted supports, student-specific supports to our, our student body. And we've also more than doubled our special education teachers uh, in the building, which is providing an opportunity for our, so that there's an individual special education teacher for every grade level from kindergarten to fifth grade. And that's a significant improvement within our ability to provide high quality uh, service provision to all of our students with IEPs within the building. And so we're really thankful for that. So apart from Cunningham, Tucker is the only other elementary school that has preschool classes. Uh, we currently have, we have two preschool programs. We have an integrated half day program and a full day program. In our integrated uh, in our integrated program, we currently have 11 students in our morning session and eight students in our afternoon session. 
And per guidelines, we maintain a ratio of 49% of students that are enrolled that have IEPs and 51% of students who do not have IEPs. And in our full day program, it's really special because we have an opportunity to reserve some seats within our program for economically disadvantaged students, which serves as, serves as a primary way where we can tangibly close opportunity gaps. So in the following slides, we'll be talking a lot about uh, our school improvement goals, which are directly tied to uh, the school improvement goals that were um, dist the district-based strategic plan. Um, and so we will be talking about the Tucker-specific representations of these. So we're currently in our second year of our school improvement plan, and given uh, that our goals are the same as, as the ones that were presented last year, we'll be focusing mostly on the work that we're actually doing to meet those goals in our current presentation. And now I'll turn it over to Assistant Principal Ms. Morton to discuss our implementation of safe and supportive schools and personalized learning. Great, thank you. Um, so I'm gonna first speak a little bit about the personalized learning goal that we have in our school improvement plan. So I'll briefly read just uh, the gist of the plan um, of the goal. But at Tucker, the curriculum will be delivered using innovative teaching, informed by data and assessments in order for all students to reach their highest personal level of academic achievement. There will be a focus on using clear and consistent communication of expectations for learning and individual student progress. So I won't continue to read the slides to you, but I do wanna speak a little bit about this goal and how it speaks to how our talented teachers and staff deliver this personalized instruction that we've been talking about for the past few years and how it maximizes each student's individual potential. So as you can see on the screen, we do have some strategies in place for how we meet this goal as a school and how to embed this personalized learning in all areas of a Tucker Tiger School Day. And in a moment, I will turn it over to our talented fifth grade teacher, Ms. Novak, to speak a little bit, a bit um, more about what personalized learning looks like in her classroom. But I wanna say first and foremost, this approach is informed by data. So we're monitoring student data through um, platforms such as iReady, MClass, GB+, and uh, the French version of Dibbles, which is called Itapel, um, and our curriculum embedded assessments as well. So through this goal, we're also working to find opportunities for students to take ownership of their learning through personalized learning opportunities that are embedded in the curriculum. And with that, our goal is to foster a classroom environment where students are driving the learning and have agency over some of the activities that they're working on in the classroom. And um, one side note, we did have a really great building-based professional development opportunities for our teachers today with, through Aaron Moore, who's been speaking with our staff on some half-day and full-day professional development days uh, through providing personalized learning and providing choice, so student voice and student choice in, in the classroom. Um, so it was a really great opportunity for teachers to meet in a grade-level team and speak specifically to Aaron Moore about how they can implement these practices in their current classroom environment. Um, we're also providing supports to students as they need them in our personalized learning goal. So as Dr. Carter mentioned, we have a, a wealth of, um, of support staff who are able to provide interventions and a multi-tiered system of support through tier one, tier two, and tier three supports, um, as well as instructional groupings within the classroom. And um, one other aspect of this goal is providing a tutoring program for students in grades three through five, which will be doing as well. Um, so on the next slide, am I changing? I won't read this slide to you. It's um, a very text-heavy slide, and I'm sure you've 
seen things similar to this since uh, it's similar to what you saw in the Glover and Cunningham presentations. But I mainly want to highlight this blue box in the center of your slide. So as I mentioned on the previous slide, this is how we measure and provide those personalized learning opportunities to um, our staff and students, particularly the development, uh, professional development opportunities that we provide to our staff through Aaron Moore, through um, our Intumath PD that we're providing to teachers through Teaching Lab and a grant that was funded this year, as well as our Project Lead the Way uh, STEM curriculum. So um, I will pass it on to Ms. Novak to explain a little bit about what this looks like within her classroom setting. Um, so if you walked into Tucker tomorrow, you would see um, personalized learning happening in all the classrooms. Of course, it's gonna present completely different from preschool all the way to fifth grade. So if you happen to walk into my classroom last week, we were um, working on reading comprehension and we had two stories that were um, myths in our Reach for Reading text, and they had, the characters were, were gods, they were mythical gods. And so in order to look at students' reading comprehension of those stories, the assignment was to, in a group, to compare and contrast two of the gods from the stories. And so that was the direction that I gave them. And so I put them into um, a group, I selected the groups, and so students had to work together to choose which gods they were going to use for the um, reading comprehension. They had to choose how they were gonna present it. So you'll see that um, the students up the top used a Venn diagram, some students used a T-chart, some students used um, bullets, some chose to do illustrations. Um, it sounds trivial, but students were also given choice in what they were using to write. So you'll see some had marker, some had pencil, some had pens, some had colored pencils. And so whereas that might seem like something very trivial, the level of engagement was a 10 out of 10 for this activity. So one thing that I see and other teachers are seeing that when you're giving students choice in how they are presenting the information, um, the level of engagement increases. So that's a, a plus for our personalized learning. So the next slide is our social emotional goal as a school and how we maintain a safe and supportive environment for our Tucker Tigers. Um, so this goal, again, is um, to support social, uh, positive social and peer interactions in both structured and unstructured <laughs> times in um, our um, students' school day. So um, one thing that I wanted to point out before speaking a little bit more to this goal is under the <coughs> measuring prog progress um, number seven, the strong classroom culture that's driven by dedicated staff members. Mm -hmm. Something that I really wanna highlight about the Tucker School is that we have an incredibly supportive staff and group of families as well. Um, our staff is really dedicated to building positive relationships and making all students feel welcome and included. And you can feel it the second you walk into the school. You can feel it within the hallways. You can feel it during arrival and dismissal. Um, you can feel it at after school. You can feel it in all aspects of the building. Um, whether you are greeted in the morning by Dr. Carter in the back or Ms. Keeney and Ms. White in the front um, and you know all of our friendly teachers on Oak Street, you really do feel that Tucker is a true community school. So that was something that we wanna highlight. But in addition to, to those um, positives about the Tucker School, we also have um, a wonderful school adjustment counselor as well as two SEL leads within the school building who we collaborate with to continue to meet this goal. Um, 
our SEL leads recently participated in a training about trauma-informed practices and care. Um, and as you may have heard in the Glover um, School Committee update that Karen McDavid recently secured a grant for the district towards safe and supportive schools. So in addition to that, we're providing high-quality professional development opportunities um, that's ongoing throughout the school year. And we also have the Power School SEL screener that was just recently rolled out. So we'll have some more data to analyze um, after Thanksgiving break when that um, screener is completed. So um, as you'll see on the slide, we have some strategies in action, including uh, regular and impromptu meetings with our guidance counselor, PBIS, and restorative justice practices that we use throughout the school day, the second step SEL lessons, Calm Classroom, our Tucker Enrichment Clubs are very popular, including um, our gardening club, which has harvested a lot of kale, was <laughs> a little side, um, which actually we're able to donate to the food bank across the street for Thanksgiving. So again, just tying in other members of the community um, in our, in our school-based <coughs> projects. And we also um, have a very strong PTO who puts on a lot of um, PTO-sponsored events. One other thing that I wanted to highlight is our PBIS system. So um, our Tucker parents on the committee have probably heard a lot about the Tiger tickets that we use. Um, and our motto at Tucker is that Tucker Tigers are respectful, responsible, safe, and kind. Um, so students will earn tickets individually for showing expected behaviors, but um, they are pooled into a whole class ticket count, which really builds another layer in this sense of community. So they succeed as a group. Um, so in addition to our PBIS system, I know Dr. Carter and I engaged in some professional development over the summer through restorative justice. We have our restorative justice coaches who come to the building bless you, uh, weekly, and we've really been embedding, embedding those restorative justice practices within the school day and having weekly check-ins with our coaches. Some equity and learning. We seek to ensure that all students are, are learning in an environment that's affirming, equitable, and celebrates the diversity that exists at Tucker. It's something that's extremely important to us. Our educators work hard to create learning environments that foster equity, uh, and really working to make sure that their curricul curriculum is actually um, generating the levels of equity that they would like as well. In this picture, you see that there are two students who are at the communication board, which provides visual prompts which students can use to better express themselves. And this is an opportunity for us to continue to create a really strong community that allows students to, to learn effectively and produce high academic and behavioral outcomes as they're working together to, to facilitate and foster an authentic community, if you will. Not just having students that are diverse in space, but they're actually being able to work together to, to, to get to a place of harmony. Um, and so that's something that we're really, really proud of. Tucker. Um, if we go to the next slide. Um, so these are some of the, uh, the ways in which we really focus uh, and measure our progress within this, this uh, equity and learning strand. We definitely use data to effectively target student strength and growth areas and to make sure that the work that we're educators are doing within the building that we're doing is really focused on what kids actually need. Um, there are strong partnerships between classroom teachers and interventionists to ensure that all students are getting the ac academic support that's really specified to their specific needs. I think that's one thing that, uh, getting to know the Tucker community, it's really, really beautiful to see 
the, the partnership between the classroom teachers and the interventionists. Uh, it's, it's one way where we'll be able to see just the, the beautiful community that's been created at Tucker amongst the educators. Our SSD and behavioral health teams find creative, thoughtful, and data-driven ways to meet the specific needs of students and families. And they do extraordinary work we meet daily, I mean, excuse me, weekly, um, to ensure, as teams, to ensure that we're really uh, focusing on students who are in need and families who are in need. And our teachers finally take the time to get to know each and every one of their students and work to ensure that each student is receiving personalized interventions and instruction. So our MCAS results, we're really proud of our MCAS results. Uh, in nearly every category, I think you can see this in the, the highlights, uh, we earned either a three out of four or a four out of four in regards to total points earned, which is extraordinary. And in regard to mathematics achievements specifically, our lowest performing students and mathematics growth for all of our students, we earned four out of fours, which is really a wonderful uh, place to be in Tucker. Uh, on the next slide, you can see that in nearly every category, we either met or exceeded the targets that were specified. Uh, and these, again, are significant results that speak to the talent and commitment of our educators. As I mentioned in our faculty meeting yesterday, when we ran through this presentation with faculty and staff, these results don't just represent excellent achievement for just the grade levels, the grade level teachers who have MCAS testing in the grade level, it also represents the entire cohort of teachers from pre-K to two as well that have effectively prepared the foundations for students as they're entering the testing grades to be able to perform effectively. And so it really represents a win for all the entire building. Yep, so another data point that we've been um, assessing at the beginning of this school year is our M-Class data. So as you're aware, our new literacy screener is through M-Class, also known as the Dibbles. Um, we've been working really closely with our literacy director, Kat DeRoche, on implementing this new screener, as well as our literacy leadership team at the district level and our building-based reading specialists. Um, so we're really encouraged by this initial data that we're seeing um, from grade levels K to five, but um, what you're seeing on the screen is from our fall diagnostic, and really what this data we're using this data for is to inform how we provide tier two supports to our students and who is working with our grade level reading specialist. So we have a reading specialist who works with first and second graders, a grade three reading specialist who works at um, both Tucker and Glover, and then we have a grade four and five reading specialist as well, which is a unique position to Tucker. Um, so what we'll do is reassess this data when we complete the winter diagnostic and move forward with um, the supports that we have in place, but also compare student growth um, and inform our tier two supports that way. Um, so this is the first year that we're using this particular screening tool. Um, so it's a little bit difficult to compare this M-Class data with last year's Lexia data, um, but on the next slide, on this one right here, you'll see our iReady data, um, which we are able to compare across a few years of implementation that Dr. Carter will speak a little bit more towards. So as, as you can see in our iReady data, um, this is a mathematics assessment and diagnostic tool that we use to um, periodically test students to see exactly where they are in regards to benchmarks. And then we use the, the program that accompanies the assessment to provide, uh, again, student-specific interventions and training within the math to close their gaps. 
If you look at the data, what's really uh, significant about this is our beginning of the year 22 assessment has what we have learned is a very normal uh, production in terms of student performance. And what you see is the green that's shaded off to the left uh, is at or above grade level, green is at grade level, uh, yellow is a grade level below, and red is when you have two or more grade levels below. And so at the beginning of the year, this is normal, what you see. But if you look below, what's, what's fascinating, uh, and we had an iReady coach that came to do a data uh, meeting with us several weeks ago, and one of the things that she said is this is, it's, it's not normal to see these kinds of results, but if you look at this, you can see that 75% of our students were at or above grade level at the end of the year. This is significant, and it really speaks to the high quality work that our educators are doing in regard to math instruction. So these are significant results. Um, and if you go to the next slide, you'll see that, so this is our, our fall 2023 <coughs> data. And on average, you can see that it's very similar to the 22 data from last year at the start of the year. And so given that, we're, I feel very confident that our educators are gonna be able to do the same and maybe even better uh, results as they did last year, especially given that we're in the second year of implementation of a new math program. So I think given that, I, would be, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we do them better than we did last year. Uh, and with that, we are on to questions from the committee. Uh, Mr. Pavlicek, do you mind going one more slide? Dr. Pavlicek, good evening. Perfect. So I'll turn it over to all of you for any questions that you may have or comments. Thank you so much for the presentation. My kids were really lucky to get chosen to participate at the four-day pre-K program at Tucker, both of them, luckily, coincidentally. Um, I am very curious about the student support team uh, model mm. and how does, how does it work? And it seems like it says for third to fifth graders, um, so are they, the older kids, the fifth grader tutoring the third graders, or is it the third and fifth grader, third to fifth graders tutoring the younger kids? Um, and I'm just curious about how, how this works and wondering if it could be borrowed into other school systems. So I think um, one aspect of that you're speaking to is the Tucker tutoring program. So that was implemented last year through some of our Title I funding. Um, so we're gonna continue to have that tutoring program this year. Um, but it was, it's Tucker teachers who are working with students identified by uh, classroom teachers who could benefit from an extra bit of, of tutoring after school or some homework help. So there, there was a group last year of third grade um, students that worked with an educator, fourth grade students, and fifth grade. So we're gonna continue that model this year um, and kind of implement some tutoring and then also one other um, aspect that we wanted to implement too in our goals for, for this year and next year is to implement some kind of mentoring program as well for students in grades three through five. There's some of that Title I funding. Did that answer your question yeah. or were you talking about student support team as well? So the touring program is different from the student support yes. team, right? Yes. So how, how is the student support team work? So I can explain that. So essentially what we've done is as teachers are going through their daily uh, routine with students, mm -hmm. if they find a student that they feel might need extra support, or if there are any concerns that they may have that they can bring it forth, uh, recommend that student to be kind of uh, viewed through the student support lens. And we have a, a group of educators that come around and interventionists um, that 
really go through. So they hear, we hear whatever the teacher is, is saying about the student in terms of observations, and then we begin to, to figure out what, if any, extra supports are needed for that child, so that we can kind of use tier one and tier two supports to see if we can make an improvement in whatever gap the student, the teacher is seeing. And the, the student support process, that team begins, it's, it's in some sense a conduit to whether or not if this, we go through a whole process or several cycles and it's really clear that the student needs additional support, then we might recommend that student for IEP testing to see if there's something else that needs to happen. But the goal and the power of this is before we actually recommend students for IEPs within the building or for, for student, uh, special education testing, we use this to see are there other things that we can be doing to provide supports that are, are common supports, if you will, that will benefit a student without having to go into the special education system. So that we're only using, utilizing that when we need to, but it may be that students don't need any of that, but they just need other supports. And so again, having all the interventions that we have in the building really helps because we can provide students, uh, student uh, extra math support, extra reading support, et cetera, without having that to be part of the special education system. And we can kind of go through this six to eight week process and then re-review afterwards to see, did our, our interventions, did that, did that work? Did it help? Did it benefit the child? And then we can kind of determine, do we continue with this and it's working, or is there more or less that we need to do based on that? So they're both, the tutoring program and the student support team program are both from the teacher providing support to the students. Yes, educators providing support to the students. That's, it. That's yeah. correct. And the student support team is also, um, the process is chaired by Maureen Butler, who is our inclusion specialist at all elementary schools. So this process is uniform through all of the four elementary schools. So the referral process and then the, the support team members are Tucker-based interventionists, as, as Dr. Carter mentioned, our adjustment counselor, um, the classroom teacher, administrators, just to make sure that we're giving students all of the supports they may need throughout their school day to meet, meet their goals. Yeah, our nurse as well as part of that team. Mm -hmm. So anyone who's important in the, in the life of a student is really sitting around that table so that we can have a very holistic view of each child to make sure that we're really seeing the child for who they are and the families and being able to figure out what's the best next step. This is a very effective way of mm -hmm. helping students before we try to outsource it to Agreed. any kind of Agreed. special education diagnosis or mm -hmm. outside of the district mm -hmm. support. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. And I'm not surprised to see how dramatic the changes are in the testing score mm -hmm. from around 35% to over 20, 75% from the beginning of the school year to the end of the school year. Mm -hmm. Great job. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Yeah. Appreciate it. Anybody else have any questions? Or? So, yeah, I'm trying to understand the M-class data mm -hmm. um, and looking at grade two. Um, is that 35% that are sort of more of on the, just maybe you just ex walk me through what I'm looking at here. I'm looking at it going like, okay, I want to see. <laughs> I just really, really want to understand yeah. this data. Um, and are you looking at that red bar for second yeah, grade? Yeah, looking at the yeah. red bar. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and that is one yeah. that stands out as compared yep. to the other Correct. Um, third grade and fourth grade and all the other grade levels too. Um, so 
for, for this data, we do see a significant amount of second graders that are below benchmark. So that red, the yellow is approaching the grade level benchmark and the red is below. So for those students, those would be students who would be, um, would be, have access to tier two supports through our reading specialist. Um, this is a composite score, I will say, between a few different uh, tests. So word reading fluency, letter naming, oral reading fluency, reading comprehension. Um, so those tests are done individually one-on-one -on -one with the reading specialist at the beginning of the year. And then there's one test in second grade that is done on the computer, the students do individually. Um, so, but this, this score was used to um, form those tier two supports. Okay. Yep. And I am looking at 46 students total, is that right? If I'm looking at it in terms of the total that was tested? So for second grade, yes, because um, the students who are in the French immersion program do not do take not the M-class screener. Yes, they have their own um, screeners, so the rest are um, the amount of students who took the screener at the end. And so these students, the ones that, is it fair to say the ones who are in this 35% um, mm -hmm. here are getting specialized, targeted yes. intervention? Yes. Okay. Dr. Yeah, it, it just feels like 16 is not a lot, mm -hmm. so I think when I look yeah. at it, I'm like, okay, we can mm -hmm. tackle that. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's helpful. And Dr. Miranda, I just wanna let you know as well that when you look at this, there is clearly a discrepancy or a difference between grade two's results in the other grades. Yep. And I think one of the reasons that we'd see, especially given that it's, it's, we're talking about reading development mm -hmm. and acquisition, that these students were students that were in kindergarten in one of the major COVID, COVID years. years. Mm -hmm. That's and so yeah. clearly you can see where if that was a hybrid or mixed year, mm -hmm. that that would directly affect mm -hmm. students' ability to learn how to read and to decode and do all the things they need to do. And so that's probably why we're seeing a different discrepancy there. And as we go through the data, you can kind of see COVID has affected all of our students in different ways. Mm -hmm. It's just figuring out what those ways are. And as we go through the data, we can kind of see some of those differences and changes. And I think that I would argue that that's probably the reason why there's, there's more red in, in grade two. Great. But again, because we have- hybrid? Or was that a hybrid year for them? Yeah. The, the first kindergarten. kindergarten. I think kindergarten yeah. would have been kindergarten hybrid. hybrid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and even last year was a different year. It was that first year kind of out which mm -hmm. was sort of normal, but not really normal. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But hopefully that explains so. Mm -hmm. Thank you for walking me through that. Of course. So um, I just had, thank you so much for the presentation. Of course. I don't know, um, hopefully you guys can hear me. Um, so this is great, and, and I really am like, I was really kind of um, intrigued by your uh, description of personalized learning and the example you shared. So I know student choice, I think that's phenomenal and to um, see that student engagement has increased, that's huge. I used to be one of those kids who just kind of memorized stuff and then forgot about it, so it's great that they're engaged. Mm -hmm. So how do you kind of balance um, if a student decides, hey, I'm gonna do an illustration um, for this assignment, how do you kind of balance that they are learning how to write, write sentences and all of those kind of things? Like, how do you kind of balance that? So they're still learning that. Do you kind of get, um, yeah. So this particular assignment um, had a component, an individual component after. So did they, they did their group work mm -hmm. where they came up with their brainstorming, which we always do um, before we write something. We always like, we always like start with the brainstorming piece. 
So the second part of it, which you didn't see, which is more individualized, but they actually had to then write okay. an essay. Okay. Um, but they could have done their brainstorming any, any way they wanted to. Um, but there are often opportunities to not only do writing, but I can have a conversation and say, so you know, tell me about these two gods, why were they different? So it can be oral, because some <coughs> people don't like to write, so that's another way that you can embed personalized learning. Sti I'm still assessing them, but I'm not doing pen and paper. So while this is going on, I'm going around to each person and you know, talking to each group and looking over their shoulder and, and engaging them and talking with them. So um, I can um, extrapolate how each person is responding to the, the task. One of, the, one of the things that um, Mrs. Novak alluded to, which I think is important, is that teachers have the agency to determine what aspects of the curriculum or the instruction um, will be, that will provide choice for. And so, as you, as you can see, what she was saying is there are certain aspects that were non-negotiable that all the students were learning and doing. And so I can understand if, if you give kids complete choice, then <laughs> they may not learn the things that they need to learn, essentially. Uh, but I think that's where the teacher has that realm of freedom to determine this part of the lesson will not be of choice and everyone has to do it, but these aspects, I will add choice. Or when you're doing this part of the lesson, I'm gonna provide choice in, in these areas, but not in other areas, so that they can really control and ensure that their daily objectives and aims are being met. like to take this opportunity to thank you all and the whole staff at Tucker. Um, my family just feels really proud and grateful to be a Tucker family and my kids love going to school every day and have had a really great experience there. You know, through the challenges that we've all faced, um, I just really appreciate the support you described, that sense of um, community, and you know, we've heard in some different presentations this concept of the trusted adult, mm -hmm. and I know that my kids, I feel confident sending them to Tucker every day because I know they have like numerous trusted adults, um, and they just feel really a sense of belonging there, and, a, um, and they learn a great deal um, that it, continues to impress me when I'm trying to help them do their homework sometimes. So um, thank you for everything that you're doing. Thank you as well. I wanted to briefly add that we sent a survey out to our faculty and, and our students about one thing that they love about the Tucker School. And the question was, what is something that makes you happy about coming to the Tucker School every day? And on top, of course, of lunch and recess <laughs> being the, and, and specials being the, the number one. Um, students cited their teachers and their friends. Mm -hmm. So there's an overwhelming sense that, that students in this school have a trusted adult. Um, on more than one occasion, this is something that I really find unique to Tucker, just in, in my experience working in Milton and um, having a new experience moving into leadership at the Tucker School. The amount of times that I've been in the hallway and I run into a student who is bringing some classwork down to show to their previous year's teacher, mm -hmm. just because they're, they're proud. Um, it's really, really exciting and it's encouraging to see um, because 
you know, students in first grade say, oh, I just finished this math assignment, I'm gonna go down and show my kindergarten teacher really quick. And so, you know, of course there's an emphasis on academics and everything, but students learn best when they feel comfortable, happy, and safe in their environment. Um, so it's very encouraging to hear that your family Absolutely. feels that way as well. Absolutely. And just to add on to that, it's such a pleasure to be in community events and see our Tucker teachers there. Mm -hmm. This weekend, there was a regional Taekwondo tournament at the high school. And one of the first grade teachers was there. My daughter's second grade, third, third grade teacher was there. The investment people make in the students in and outside of the school is visible for anyone to mm. see. It's all good stuff, Beautiful. thank you. It's a great reflection to hear <laughs> that from you all as parents. Um, it is, I, I just second what Ms. Martin said, it's, it's, it's really exceptional. It's one of the things that, that really defines Tucker as a community, is this notion of the caring, committed, and loving educators that don't just see their kids as only the kids in their classroom, mm -hmm. but all of the kids are their kids. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's a beautiful thing because it allows for all the students to have a safety net that they can't follow through it because there are too many people that care about them, that can see them, and that feel comfortable and are, are interested in proactively reaching out to them if they see anything that the students feel seen and heard, which is extremely important. But it is wonderful to, to hear from parents to, that you feel the same way. Thank you time he stayed even after Okay. Is that the noise that I heard through yeah. the wall here? Yeah. Well, they're having yes, they're having <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of fun going on. It sounds a little yeah. bit more exciting than here. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. Um, your child is very talented. I've seen them perform. So, okay, um, Peter can enroll more. Okay. Yeah, great. So, um, so school committee, I've, I've shared um, a number of, of uh, kind of enrollment information, the 22 and 23, or 23 and 24 really, um, nest egg reports, uh, information that we put together and information, uh, enrollment information for students not attending Milton Public Schools, but from Melbourne. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm gonna, I've got a really short um, slide deck here I'm gonna go through to, to hopefully help provide some information and context for what you see. Um, I think some of the numbers can be misleading in, in terms of everything we've talked about regarding space. We just had this conversation in the facilities advisory, so um, you all could probably present this too. <laughs> um, so let's go to the 
first slide there. The, or the second slide, the first real slide. So um, if you look back, and I'll, I'll just show this for the community too. Um, everyone who's watching, I'll, I'll put a couple of graphs up so you can see what we're talking about here. But overall trends, the enrollment's pretty flat. Um, and if, if when you dig into the different cohorts and, and different classes, it's nothing really comes out as like, you know, in, in some districts you'll see a, a big bubble kind of going through the system and things feel really tight and then that subsides. They all right, move up into secondary and the elementaries can breathe again. When you look at our data, it's, it's very consistent. Um, we do have, you know, well, most of our elementary schools have a combination of like three strands, four strands. So sometimes one grade will have a, a slightly larger bubble. So we do have that kind of variation. That's pretty normal for a district of our size. Um, but we're, we're pretty flat. The, it's, I think this is confusing for, for some people who might look at this data to say, okay, well, we're hearing all about these space needs and challenges and you know, if our numbers are, were the same five years ago, are the same now and will be the same in five years, you know, what's going on? Um, have we always been in an overcrowding kind of situation? and we're just kind of now realizing it, kind of like a, a frog in boiling in water. <laughs> um, or is there something else? And, and what, what I talked about earlier in the, in the facilities advisory meeting was our schools were not designed for education in 2023, and they weren't designed to serve all students. They were designed to serve students who could be successful in a general ed classroom. And, and there are even arguments for that, right? Mm -hmm. the, the way that our programming has changed, and when you, those of you who went around, um, the, the people in the facilities advisory went when Glenn was driving the bus that day, you probably heard about <laughs> the crazy white bus screeching around the town of Milton. Um, you, you got to see firsthand, right, going into a, a school and seeing, there are a lot of spaces where there aren't 20 kids or 25 kids. There are three or four, or there are service providers. Schools have taken on a lot of the work that probably traditionally wasn't done anywhere, but maybe was done in health and human services and, and other sectors. So we have both the combination of students with increasingly diverse needs we have a commitment to equity and a commitment to serving all students and not sending every student to another town or another program. I mean, we do do that and we need to do that at times when we don't have the ability to sustain um, programming for some students. But the biggest impact on our enrollment is the programming that we are committed to, to creating so that all, all students in Milton can be successful in Milton, to the degree that we can, right? Mm -hmm. We can't specialize to the degree that some schools do in, you know, in some of our students are out of state, right, for, for certain programs. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, then I'll just go through the, the, these two slides. The predicted enrollment increase due to the kind of development activity we don't believe is 
part of the nest egg slides. So we don't think NESTEC has really taken into account some of the zoning changes that are happening. Um, and I don't know exactly where that is right now. Are we, we're still in process, right? Yeah. Um, the zoning changes that are happening, the 40Bs that are going up, so those will put, uh, I think we will see an, an uptick in enrollment. Um, I think the, the bigger pressure is creating, creating a, a school in, in 2023, um, based on what we know about students and based on our commitment to all students. So going to the next slide. So this speaks to what I was talking about. So here's the five-year enrollment trend. Fairly flat. Next slide. Here it is by school. And really nothing remarkable to talk about here. Um, next slide. Um, this has been a topic of conversation in the community, so I thought it would be great to just present the data and, and show people where we are. Um, the first slide here is in-state, private, and parochial. So the majority of our students that are going to um, of other schools, private schools primarily. Uh, and you can see that number from 2014 to 2023 is pretty much hovering around 1,000, up and down. I, if we went back in time, I, I, we'd probably see a fairly consistent number. I don't know how far back we'd have to go to see a different number that might be interesting to look at. Do you know, Glenn? It was higher. Was it higher? Yeah. Do you know what it was at? At, at one point when, um, before some of the private schools went seven, grade seven and eight, at grade nine, uh, there was a point in, I would say, in the 90s where we would lose 15 to 20% of the eighth grade public and uh, private and parochial schools. So that's a much bigger drop than we see anywhere now. Okay. Um, it, the number of a thousand wouldn't have been bigger because of fewer grades. Uh, they weren't as you know the higher percentage. The okay. uh, you know the BC highs of those weren't at grade seven back then. They mm -hmm. were only nine through twelve. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a smaller uh, cohort of students who were eligible to go out of the district, um, especially at the high school level, um, but. We did, uh, prior to the building these schools, um, when we had the old high school uh, on Central Avenue, there was a, a very significant drop off uh, grades eight to nine. Um, so that, that's that. And then the final slide is just the, the additional students attending outside of Milton. So these are, you can see on the left side, that um, chart, vocational, out district, public, collaboratives, charters, homeschool, and out-of-state, private, and parochial. So this, those numbers, as a, a total, don't make up more than 50, that's about 100, 100 students or so. So that's, that's our enrollment. Any questions? Not a question, but a comment. I think another way that I would see the data <coughs> is that we are experiencing quite the space challenge. So as we look forward and think about 
building the new school, it makes me feel good <laughs> and confident that we will address the space crunch for the, 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 the runway is longer, right? Or when we're gonna feel that relief. Now, if you told me we're building a new school and we see a dramatic projected increase, then I would be like, well, we're kind of trying to solve the problem now, <laughs> but we're gonna have the, we're gonna face the same problem in X amount of time. I feel very, you know, it feels, uh, you know, I, I, I'm reassured, I guess, by looking at the data this way, that by um, our look at sort of the new building, that we will be able to have better accommodation for I think exactly what you stated, which is the needs of our students are different. The need, the way we need to educate our students is different. And so that um, we're gonna have that release um, last longer, so. And we're seeing, uh, I agree, and I, I think it would also be troubling if we saw a big dip mm -hmm, in enrollment correct. where, you know, we're, we're building towards a population that's you know, dropping yeah. like mm -hmm. 100 per year or something. Um, we are seeing, uh, you know, we're, the, the conversations we're having right now around space and classrooms is our preschool program has gotten bigger because mm -hmm. it's a primarily special ed based program. Mm -hmm. Needs have gotten, you know, our numbers have grown in that program. And so as those students age out of preschool and come into kindergarten, we're having lots of conversations around yeah. how to best meet students' needs. So that, that is a place that I think that's probably our biggest pressure point right now in conversations mm -hmm. with principals and our space needs. And um, we, we might have to be creative. So mm -hmm. we're still in a, in a, it's still very tight. And mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. I think we're gonna feel the, the belt tightening a little bit um, over the next years as we're, mm -hmm. I mean, frankly, as, as we're, we're working to provide supports for these students and, um, you know, we're looking kind of systematically across the board at all of our schools right now, you know, since we have some programs at some schools and Danielle, um, mm -hmm. our director of student services has been kind of looking at this system wide to look at how can we, mm -hmm. you know, provide the most services in every school, and so we've, we've got some systems work too to do. And just adding on to something that Dr. Miranda said, for those of you who are used to seeing the building presentations from Sean O'Rourke, one of the charts demonstrated our total student capacity. And while our trend has been consistent, it's been consistently beyond the capacity right. of our buildings. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. So I don't want anyone to look at this and say, I'm looking at this different. It's just another data point that can be layered onto the data that Dr. Burroughs is sharing today. And I'm, I guess I'm wondering because I also remember honestly attending meetings about this problem years ago when the NESDAQ data was reaching back further. And I think so, I am interested in that, like what clearly appears to be a consistent plateau now um, after a pretty slight but notable increase, you know, uh, across a period of years. And I, I guess with your metaphor of the frog 
you know, when, when you are, no, but, but when, you, when you have adapted to measures that um, kind of cope with very tight schools, it really doesn't take very many more students to tip you over the tipping point. Like, so I'm kind of wondering if that's what we've experienced, that we were, we were like right up against the max, but not, but on just under it for, you know, and we, we, we crept up and then we hit it and we went over it. And even if we're only over it by, you know, tens of students, not hundreds of students, and the that's like you hit the tipping point and it's like it no longer works um, the way that it did. Even I don't know if I'm, I'm not well, making sense, but that it's like spot. even just small numbers of students begin to have an outsized impact once you kind of cross the line mm -hmm. with it. Well, and part of crossing the line is losing intervention space, mm -hmm. losing spaces yeah, for specialists to meet, to do, so. losing yeah. places for faculty to to co-plan and co-create together. Mm -hmm. Losing all of those spaces mm -hmm. starts to put a lot of tension. One, you have students, I mean, I see, see this as I walk around the schools and I feel really bad to see a student in a hallway having to come out of their classroom to receive you know, a reading intervention and then walking back into their classroom. It just, it's not right. And I just um, want to add on to what Dr. Carroll said because Dr. Pavlicek was the one when my kids were very little who had the first enrollment data showing that it was going up. And I remember the plans of carving up different spaces <coughs> and reutilizing spaces. And I remember when the public started becoming interested saying, how did we not know this? I'm like, he's been saying this for years. This, you may not have been at the meeting, but I know that you know what I'm saying because he was the one that developed the plans to accommodate that increased enrollment, mm -hmm. but we did hit a tipping point, and now we're in the hallways. Like we're beyond mm -hmm. the creativity of his skills <laughs> because we're now at that plateau, and it does hurt. And I, I, I'm not going to speak for you because I I remember you saying this ten years ago or so. Mm -hmm. And and the um, you know I think the reason why I, I wanted to really talk about programming and the size of our rooms is. When someone looks at enrollment data, they just look at the number of students and think, this number of students needs this much space. Mm -hmm. That's true if every classroom is 25, right? So looking at the numbers alone is only one factor of, it's actually not the factor you need to be looking at. You need to be looking at how many classrooms do you have, how large are they, and for the specific student programming, how many students can fit into that space? That's, that's the actual data that's important in terms of our, our space needs and, and what we need, which is why we're in the position that we're in. So I, I think it's important for the public to understand that enrollment data, these, this is just the number of students, it's not the space required. That's a totally separate calculation. And I think those things are conflated frequently. So I'm sorry to jump the gun, because I'm sure there's a, a bigger punchline of where you're going with this. 
what are, what you are might be the punchline. <laughs> 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 that means I can leave. <laughs> <laughs> because it puts us in a precarious situation. We all know that we're past the space <clears throat> carving creativity that we've had over the years. Um, and we are in the process of talking publicly about moving beyond the land swap, which passed. What is the current thinking on the table? That. That's coming in Chris's presentation. Wow, you just yep. passed that real quick. <laughs> I can say it, but no, but we, he's going to be talking about that and the facilities advisory, too. Yeah, I mean, short-term-wise and medium-term-wise, it's something we talk about at every meeting, facility advisory committee, and, like, you know, have... Like, I think, to your point, is a good one. I, I hear this all the time of, like, what are the short-term solutions right a lot of people want that obviously they want that because they care about the schools they care about the experience our kids have i think a lot of that statement overlooks the fact that you know glenn and others have been implementing these short-term solutions year after year over the last five years at school you know since school building committee at least the last five years that they've been working on this of cutting up spaces losing this room losing that space um you know, losing teacher work rooms, uh, as we saw in like Calicot, things like that. Um, so like those things have happened and we are, to your point, somewhat at the end of that rope of the easy decisions, uh, the, the cheap and easy decisions. And now it's the more, you know, expensive or expansive kind of choices of, that have been discussed of modulars of the fourth floor of Cunningham of, uh, you know, addition here or there, or you know, how do we how do we manage this? Um, and who ends up in those spaces? Who ends up in those spaces, and which schools get the the space? Uh, because you know, you got four elementary schools, and you got Pierce, and you have the high school, and all of them have uh, demands and, um, or I should say, desires and needs to support their students. And you know, one project doesn't solve all of that. Um, you know, as it relates to short-term costs. Obviously, the hope is from the long-term perspective, still the work of the school building committee and the update we'll provide there of pushing that forward, because that is a project that kind of, as a singular project, should be able to support the needs across all these sites um, and pull students out of every every site or, or you know, um, programming out of every site to, to support um, the needs of the, the campuses. Um, I do, the, one of the things that stuck out to me that I, um, you know, shared and I added it into your slide deck, um, Peter, at the very end. It's just that that NASDAQ projection. I know Say Glenn. <laughs> Glenn has like repeatedly said, you know, um, the NASDAQ projections are, you know, pretty good for the first five years, and then as you go out, they become somewhat unreliable. Um, and, and he said that. I just think uh, I've obviously only looked at the Milton NASDAQ projections for the last year. And now this is the, the new one, and I, I thought that was very clear in the stark contrast of kind of the 10-year projections, mm -hmm. where if you look at the NASDAQ projections from last year, they were projecting a decline over 10 years in our enrollment of about 5%, uh, which would be helpful from a space standpoint if we lost you know, yeah. 200 kids, um, just from a space crunch standpoint. And this year, we have about like 15 more kids, uh, so it's not a substantial amount, but you take that over 10 years, and there, you know, it, it's not that loss of those 200 kids. It is to the point that's been made, you know, a flat projection. So, um, just that that slight adjustment from one year to the next, mm -hmm. kind of having significant potential long-term change to these projections, and to the point you made, Peter, like that not actually incorporating 
all the other context that we know exists within our town as it relates to yeah. zoning and 40B and uh, development, um, things like that. So I actually had those slides in. I just did, forgot to present them. <laughs> That's slide seven and eight. Yeah. You just put seven and eight together on that bottom one. I just, I, yeah. yeah. Sorry yeah. about that. Not so good. But I, did, I no. was going to present those and I didn't. Yeah. But again, I just to reemphasize your point, which you made at the facility advisory committee, I think was great. Is like those are the larger numbers and they, you know, they show flat, which isn't really helpful. Of like our space issue remains our space issue. But at the same time, our identification rate is not flat. Our identification rate is going up. And like, you know, it used to be 13% 10 years ago, and now it's over 17%. And that represents 200 more kids uh, that have been identified for small group services pull out, um, uh, you know, and or not, not counting even the preschool program, which has expanded. And so those, those, all those space demands and issues on, on top of that are really significant. So I think that was a great point. Thanks, Mike. To your point about the, the, the program change, if you go back six years and compare to now, I think we have 30% more. Uh, we've had, seen a 30% increase in students on IEPs. Mm -hmm. We have a 50% increase in our nursing staff. Um, you know, we can, we can do statistics like that to show that it's, you know, it's the program, it's not the number of people. I mean, it's the demands that are put on it. We have 30% more occupational therapists than yeah. we did. Um, you know, you can go down the line with all those categories and see. That's where our staff growth is over the last five years, almost exclusively. Um, and it reflects the, the demographics of our students and the changing demographics of the, of the student body. bringing that to us good discussion good for us to all stay on top of the implications of all of that so anything else under your report That's it. Um, under the chair's report um, should we just stick with this topic and segue into the into your conversation or because what, what I'm going to talk about is totally different <laughs> <laughs> sounds like Monty Python yeah maybe Could probably do maybe the, this makes sense the facilities advisory committee and Chris together would make a lot of sense okay <laughs> all right if everyone's okay with these little last minute minor changes but thank you Chris uh, um, good evening uh, so, uh, thank you for giving me more time to correct this budget. Uh, <laughs> but uh, if you've reviewed the capital request budget that I provided a couple weeks ago, uh, not much has really changed ex except for a little line item there <laughs> for about $2 million. And that's for the Cunningham Attic build-out space. Um, so the time you were buying me to get to the today's point was allowing me to speak to some design consultants to get some actual numbers on the build out of the attic space of Cunningham. Uh, so speaking to some uh, two different design firms, there's a construction cost, and this is contingency design, um, to put, uh, to maximize the space up in the attic <coughs> of Cunningham, 4,000 square feet. 
So you're looking at a construction cost of about $450 to $500 per square foot. So to maximize that space, uh, to build it out for ancillary systems, pull out teaching spaces, instructional space, and restrooms, uh, fire alarms, sprinklers, um, it's going to be about $2 million. Uh, so what that programming is has not been sort of designed yet. Um, we just haven't had time to, to work on that. But if we were to maximize the space in the attic at Cunningham, it is going to be about $2 million spent in that space. And, and some, just to add to that, some ideas in terms of, you know, how that space could be used. Um, it could be anything from, you know, art, music, classroom space, uh, support services. The, there's, there are a range of things that we could do with that. And um, the nice thing about the attic is that Cunningham, Collicott is where we're experiencing pressure the most. Mm -hmm. So that is a, a boon. Yeah, so it just it helps a little bit to alleviate the space issue, to, to take the ease off a little bit. Um, I don't know if there's anything else you need to see on the report. I can explain. But uh, pretty much uh, the capital projects are continuing with exterior door replacements uh, throughout the districts. Um, do we uh, sort of flooring repair, carpet repair, there's uh, cleaning equipment uh, that for the district-wide, just the sort of vacuum, pa vacuum, ba vacuum equipment that with HEPA filters, uh, better cleaning equipment for restrooms so we can uh, sanitize and professionally clean our restrooms and, our, and the, the schools, do a more professional uh, job on those. Um, I'm looking for some ar architectural engineering services. Having gone through all the HVAC equipment and mechanical spaces of every school, uh, we have about 150 pieces of equipment um, that's uh, coming of age of 20 years. So Glover, Tucker, everything we own now is 20 plus years. And um, so it's, it's time to sort of get an outline for the next 10 years on replacement costs. So that is what I'm doing now. Uh, but it'd be nice to have a sort of an engineering consultant sit with me, look at how I can prioritize 150 pieces of equipment uh, and make it budget friendly <coughs> for the next 10 years, you know, so I can't overwhelm the town uh, and the school budget with my you know, request, but it needs to be done in a sort of a, an efficient manner so we can actually start replacing equipment. Um, so in that aspect, just, uh, there's $50,000 set aside for that. Um, but some low-hanging fruit that a lot of the principals, as we've done our sort of walkthrough, is uh, bottle filling stations um, for the students and uh, operable windows. So those are, those are the first things that are on my hit list. It's low-hanging fruit that can be done. It sort of is face forward, and uh, teachers and student-alike staff will feel that uh, fairly quickly if we can get that done next summer. Um, and for the most part, that's, that's it. It's, I'm not asking for a whole lot. There's just that $2 million <laughs> uh, line item. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, you had been so conservative in your projections for next year that, you know, really. It didn't do it too much. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just I did, we just um, knowing or just wanting to know, you know, was that attic really, because it's been talked about for years and years and sort of uh, it, were we going to be honest, were we really wanting to do this? Um, and it just happened to be yes, so it was like a last minute, so I just needed to be able to have some time to get some actual, actual numbers. Uh, so we're just not asking for 
pie in the sky numbers for this is something that's a legitimate number that can be done. Well, and you can when you compare this to the modular um, yeah. option. Oh, absolutely. It seems much more cost effective. Correct, and uh, you know, sort of when you're putting modular and you're doing sewage, electrical, all the plumbing that goes with it. So you're actually it's not just modular. I mean, you're putting a building to stay right. at, at the end of the day because you'll need foundations and so mm -hmm. forth. Modular's nice, everybody thinks it's gonna go away, but at the end of the day, you put a lot of money into it. So. No, I think this is great. I um, appreciate the fact that we've been able to at least identify an interim solution that's internal. No one will feel as though they've been, their particular population has been targeted for a modular outdoor classroom right. with no access. So thank you for all of you who worked on this. Yeah, and I'll say from the uh, Facility Advisory Committee perspective, we took a vote on this uh, as a group, and um, it was a unanimous um, vote to support this um, and recommend this to the school committee. So I um, really appreciate the efforts. Again, I think a lot of that came out of the work of the Facility Advisory Committee, the, the tours, and I think to the point you made around, like, how do we pick, um, you know, it, this still seems, um, like some of the lower hanging fruit uh, given yeah. the space within a, an existing building. And again, to the point I think Peter made, right, it is in a, a facility that really then can help impact two buildings and potentially then, you know, take off some of the kind of, when we have that extra kindergarten cohort come in, right, that, that can now, instead of going to Glover or Tucker, potentially can be taken off by Cunningham and Collicott because they have slightly more space that has implications for the the lunchroom and those times, and mm -hmm. so they, they might be um, upset by that potential implication of them taking on even more kids in, in that tight space. But you know, those are the, the types of impacts we think that this potentially can have. And I'll also say, like I, you know, this is my first rodeo going through the capital improvement budget process. So I know not everything you get asked, you ask for through this process gets is funded. But certainly believe strongly it's important to put it out there and say like, hey. If this is something that the town wants to fund. If this is an urgent priority of the town to find a short-term solution, this is what we believe that short-term solution um, is, and this is what Chris believes. You know, through some work, uh, it will cost us. And let's have that conversation uh, through those, you know, additional committees. I'm just going to add that it was really helpful for us, like when we did the tours, to kind of see that space and see the potential of it. And just kind of going back to some of the conversations we've had earlier, where you know there were a lot of spaces that had to be reconfigured and chopped up, and we lost storage, and we lost, you know, libraries. Libraries. We lost all of these things, and then. You know, I remember walking upstairs to the fourth floor and seeing this like magnificent space and it was like, whoa, okay, <laughs> we gotta make this a reality. So I really appreciate you getting some numbers to us because yeah. now it's like, okay, now we can see this happening, you know? And um, so it was, it's really helpful and thank you for all the work that Absolutely. you put into this. And, uh, and also kind of just looking at things long-term, you know, we can't continue to cut up our spaces any further. We can't like, you know, put in something temporary that's like gonna take away a, a playground or something else. Um, so I think this is this is great. So thank you for all the work that oh, you've done. I guess we want to thank you all too for helping us to 
to kind of dream, you know, from our first draft. So, <laughs> seriously. We did. Mark and I went up there and we were like, whoa. <laughs> 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 um, any other questions on facilities? Very much. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Um, Will you accept a motion? Would anyone like to make the motion? I'll make a motion to approve the FY25 capital requests for facilities. Second. Technology. Are we also approving? We didn't talk about the tech. Does anyone have questions on the technology pieces? No. Because that's I, also bundled in our. I did about I the have. hardware. Yeah. Um, I noticed there was Chromebooks, there was networking equipment, but it, it but in the memo, there was feedback about um, PCs and laptops, and I'm wondering, like I looked at the Excel spreadsheet, but I didn't see that. But as Peter knows, I'm 0 for 2 today. <laughs> <laughs> detail, so. we'll no, you're not, you're not. <laughs> you, I think um, they were lumped in with the um, hardware acquisition. We're using, obviously, fewer PCs than uh, we used to use, although there's certainly a demand in some cases, especially in um, special needs students for iPads and things like this as opposed to Chromebooks. So I think um, Bob was putting them together. I know he was trying to be more generic in his labels because if you put Chromebook and it gets voted in the warrant as Chromebooks, you can't buy anything but Chromebooks. So um, you, you have to be generic enough to give yourself a little flexibility. I think that's what Chris was talking about with his cleaning and, and supplies. User yeah. And user devices. <laughs> and user devices, everything. yes, yeah. in, in, in that realm. Yeah. Also, some of the hardware that had been on previous <coughs> uh, uh, requests from, um, from Bob have been taken off because we have virtualized a lot of our storage, a lot more cloud storage, and so we are not replacing servers that we had a server replacement um, a plan in, in previous capital budgets. And if you compare it to, say, two years ago, you'll see they're not there anymore because um, we're not doing it that way anymore. We're trying to do is, is more virtualized um, storage than um, you know, on-site servers. So that's the other change in his. Um, I, a couple questions on the IT thing. It said uh, Chromebooks grades K, uh, oh, sorry, whatever it is, through 10th grade, I think it said. Is there, was that a typo? Am I reading that wrong? It says K through 10th grade, every student K through 10th. Oh, the high school is bring your own device, I think. <coughs> Once you get to like 10th grade, you can, the expectation is you will unless you can't afford one, you get a Chromebook. Mm -hmm. You buy your own Chromebook in grades 11 and 12? So you can bring you anything know, you want. Bring your own device. Bring your own so you device get, and grace you know, as well. Uh, my, my kids have laptops that they bring to school, but if you can't afford it, you're, you get issued a Chromebook. You can ask for a Chromebook. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. It's just not provided in grade 11. Yeah, it's not automatically provided. That's right. Right. Um, <coughs> do we provide all staff laptops? Laptops? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. They, they, they provide a device. Depends what they're doing. Some of them are using Chromebooks because their class is using Chromebooks. Um, you know, some of them are using iPads because their students are using iPads, particularly in special ed. Mm -hmm. It really depends on um, on the faculty member. But no, we don't whip up uh, laptops for everyone. No, not it's, uh, more expensive. <laughs> for sure. I have to say that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Even um, I was just going to add on to what, where yeah. your mind is going, which yeah. is in the absence of knowing the breakdown and having some sort of standard policy about what equipment is um, more facile for teachers to use, maybe mm -hmm. that's a conversation for another day as, as a working professional. Like I've seen my children's Chromebooks and it's appropriate for my children. I couldn't do what yeah. I do on a Chromebook and I'm not expecting our teachers to spend their life in spreadsheets and presentations, but it, um, it's worth having the conversation, especially if you know that there has been a request mm -hmm. or a preference for PCs and laptops by our faculty. Yeah. I don't know if that's what you were going with. Yeah, no, I'd be, I'd be really interested to know what the, what the in the absence of a, a kind of universal kind of PC laptop policy, like just what is, what is approximately the breakdown, like what is, you know, what do folks usually get? Yeah, I totally agree with you. I don't know how productive most of our folks yeah, would be given so much is now cloud-based. It, it used to be that all uh, staff were actually given PCs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the students were doing Chromebooks, et cetera. Yeah. Um, we have found that fewer and fewer people really want to use PCs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but I think because, uh, especially in the lower grades, we're more, uh, the ease of interaction with their students, more of the staff want to use a Chromebook because the students are using a Chromebook. It's yeah. easier to interface with them and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, we do get requests for, for laptops, some of our service providers, um, because of the, you know, they're constantly putting things into uh, IEP forms and things like that. It's much easier to do on a laptop than it is a Chromebook. Um, so we see that. I, couldn't tell you though off the top of my head the breakdown of I don't know, PCs is small. I but laptops versus that. Chromebooks. If you um, actually knew that, I'd be really impressed. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a really I, big district. I, I really don't think I buy more than twenty or thirty laptops a year oh versus a thousand Chromebooks when you start getting into students. I mean we have to we have we have Roughly five to six thousand Chromebooks, and they're only good for five years because the license dies on them. Mm -hmm. So we've got to buy a thousand a year, um, at least. So I would say, you know, I, I can't tell how many of those are off the top of my head are staff yeah. versus I mean, students. I got to imagine you have four. I mean, I don't know the exact numbers, but four hundred teaching staff, mm -hmm. right? So twenty, thirty laptops a year is tiny. Uh, if like even laptops, you got to replace every. Five years. Yeah, so that's really and only twenty so percent of your faculty probably using yeah, laptops. <laughs> yeah, and and then like that replacement cycle. So like that's yeah. But I, I'm I, seeing it general, my, I think it's gonna, I think as you know, there's a certain amount of people who are still using the PC and they're waiting for it to die before they go on to the next thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, there's no reason I'm spending money on my office. No reason like spending money. But like the students, most teachers have. <clears throat> a desktop connected to a presentation station, the smart board in the classroom, mm -hmm. and a lot of them bring their own device, and they can take that to meetings and everything else. Is so that it, last part, they bring their own device. Oh, so so they, the teachers bring the network here can handle just a lot of other people, and you'll see them carrying their laptops from meeting to meeting. But in the classroom, they have their desktop where they're doing most of their teaching. Okay, so you don't have to use a school issued if you'd like a laptop, you're going to bring your well, own. Yeah. But that's, most of it is. But that's shame on us that we can't provide. <laughs> right, my employer provides. It's provide either that or Chromebook, yes. No, no, that we can't provide something that's going to allow them to do their job as yes, well as they possibly can, yeah. right? Especially as we're becoming more digitized. 
mean, that's just yeah. the reality of where we're at. So well, it's something we should think about and we should aspire to. I also think there's an IT, you know, most IT security um, protocols now too are like you limit the amount of outside devices Device. on that are allowed to access your network. Yeah. And so we are depending on most people bringing in outside devices that just creates greater security risks and as that right. becomes more Perfect like standard right. IT protocols, yes. then that creates more blocks for people right. to right. actually be able to access the network and, and engage in the way we want on their own personal devices. Yeah. So, you know, again, I, I think in general your number, the numbers here are, obviously I, I trust the person who put this together, but they just <laughs> feel low for a district of the number of staff and the number of students we have as we've seen that across kind of other places in the budget and so, yeah, just, just had those, those wondering. So if we have additional data on kind of what the breakdown is for staff, how many staff have actual laptops or Chromebooks or desktops, you know. And how many are using their own? Probably. Yeah. Love to know that. Yeah, Especially. and to the point of Peter, like, dreaming big of, like, what it would mean to actually provide well, everybody the materials they need to do their, the job we um, expected them. Mm -hmm. School provided. Yeah. Mine. Yeah. <laughs> we all have our preferences. But yeah. I also so this it's worth having the conversation mm -hmm. as we are going into, we're going to talk about soon, the budget process and the compressed mm -hmm. timeline. Um, you know, when we were having our first finance committee meeting in September, we said we would present to the town what we believed it would take to implement the plans and complete the vision that we have and productivity devices would be part of that. So if there's even any data that we can have to inform that process, then we can present it as a trade-off, right? Mm -hmm. And I, my old colleague is the superintendent in Baltimore that was a ransomware victim, and there was a big payout. And I think it's worthwhile an ounce of precaution, <coughs> it's better than a pound of cure. And, um, I don't think if the town can't pay for that, well, we could pay for it in other ways. So are we comfortable with moving forward to approve these requests <coughs> for facilities and technology as they are now? And we're talking about this technology series of questions is informing the um, process you laid out in the beginning around you know, a multi-year um, kind of attempt to bring ourselves to the next level with our budget across the board is that are we comfortable with that do you want to are you are you still making the motion to approve both of these yeah I, I just I did have one other question just around <laughs> I apologize. he's like I take it back uh, no I'm, I'm fine with making the motion uh, but just one other question I had on the network hardware do we I assume we engage in the e-rate program to get oh, yes. funding back yeah. for okay yeah. So are these costs like in a, not assuming the E-rate funding or like in addition to the E-rate funding? These are above and beyond E-rate. Above and beyond E-rate. E-rate now, um, E-rate used to give you rebates for purchases you made for a certain percentage of them. Now you qualify for a certain amount of E-rate funds and they actually pay for it directly. Yeah. So it doesn't even pass through our budget. We, okay. we have, uh, Bob puts in an application, he gets, you know, uh, says I'm going to buy this, 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 and this. We've, some of our... Um, <clears throat> Some of our storage costs for next year are being paid entirely by the E-rate program, mm -hmm. and you know we won't even see the bill. We, you know, it's approved, and it goes directly to E-rate, and they pay it on our behalf. 
So um, it, it's a great program, and we've taken advantage. It, it, it's much easier to use now that it's yeah. direct pay. We used to have to pay it ourselves, um, and collect the money back from E-rate and use it on the, later. Yeah. You know, we had a revolving fund for E-rate money and that sort of stuff. It's much easier now to just um, to send the, you know, to place the orders through E-rate and get it done. Um, so we've gotten some some more so, um, some more ma uh, machines this year, also through E-rate. Uh, I know some of the storage costs have been done through E-rate. Mm -hmm. How about bandwidth? What bandwidth? <coughs> yep, that was paid for by E-rate too. So to Dr. Carroll's point, it, and a bunch of other points, would it be better to separate the facilities from the hardware and give you another opportunity to identify, I don't know if this, if you know it's going to take a year to figure this out, don't do this, <laughs> but if we can start to better understand what would it look like to make sure that our folks have devices? And similar to your multi-year plan for facilities, like you have a rolling schedule of upgrades, it is a rolling schedule that over time we can get people on more efficient devices. Mm -hmm. And uh, instead of just approving this and saying, oh, well, you know, <laughs> just we'll figure it out next time. Well, we are using um, some of our last ESSER funds this year also to buy some equipment. So with this, Bob would have some flexibility this is above and beyond ESSER funds. So we are using some of the ESSER funds this year for also for more equipment purchase. I can, I can ask him, I think we can do by, I think we can analyze the network logons to see how many um, personal devices are on versus, uh, um, versus the Chromebooks versus, you know, so I... Mm -hmm. I mean, I think a lot of the people that are bringing their own devices are Mac users. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we're not going to buy, we're not going to start two separate systems, yeah, right? Yeah, um, I mean, in conversations I've had with, um, with many tech directors over the years, there are different philosophies around laptop, Chromebook, mm -hmm. and they get very deep and esoteric. Um, I haven't, so far, I haven't heard from, and Glenn may have more information than I do, but it, it sounded like Bob felt confident with kind of where we were, and I haven't heard anything from staff in, in my... I have. Okay, maybe you have. I, ha I haven't. It's not a survey, but I've heard yeah, people yeah, complain yeah. about, I have a Chromebook, or I don't have a laptop because the last person didn't return their laptop those conversations yeah well, we do have there's some isolated cases like that but in terms systemically I mean some people have a preference to I've talked to people who want a Chromebook and people who absolutely don't want a Chromebook and want a laptop so I think there are preferences, preferences for sure yeah yeah I think what I've heard Bev saying is just like it, it is there time and an opportunity to similar to what we do with the facility advisory committee, like pause to give you a little bit of additional time before we kind of vote on this, finalize this to say like, you know, <coughs> is this just what he's asking for because this is all he's gotten historically or like this is just kind of pushing that forward? Or again, are we, are we making the, the request of something that like actually brings us to the step beyond? And again, maybe we don't get the funding for it, and maybe we come back and like this is the level service budget that we end up getting approved for. But you know, similar to the ask of the Calicot build out, 
there's zero chance of getting it unless you ask for it. Um, and so, but if, if what I'm hearing from you is like, this is not a pain point, this is not the place we actually want to push as a district, and like they're, the Cunningham is the, the <coughs> more of a place we want to push, and let's pick and choose our battles, then I, then I can hear that as well. I just. Well, I mean, we haven't yet looked at the, our staffing requests. Yeah. And so just looking at like that yeah. kind of philosophy around, you're not going to get it if you don't ask for it. But if you ask for too many things, yeah, that's fair. You get into a situation where then you have to like start taking all these things back. So I, I, right. I guess it's yeah. That's a philosophy thing. So I think one of the things we've learned in the last two budget cycles is being able to engage in the conversation <coughs> allows people to say yes, or it allows them to to make the trade-off. Yeah. And that was something that we committed to earlier this year. I don't think anyone in our town or on the school committee thinks we're getting a blank check for anything, yeah. but I do think people now know that we spend significantly on the state average. We don't even need the state average to do better, um, even with staffing requests. Yeah. But I do think if, to your point, if this is not the tree you want to go up, we don't have to go up, but I do think if we don't give people the information, then we can't even have the discussion. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think from what I've gathered thus far, and I, I wouldn't say I have a deep knowledge here, um, but I think if you, staffing may be one of the, more of a pain point in our, in mm -hmm. our department as opposed to hardware. In the IT department. In the IT department, yeah. yeah. And I think all of those conversations should be had. I think we, being able to even engage in that way is a wonderful thing. I think I'm very pleased that you identified that as a need. Yeah. yeah. All right. And what I'm hearing from you is we should push this forward and again live to fight fight another day for for this or focus elsewhere. So I will remake a motion to approve the FY25 capital request for technology and facilities. Second. Thank you. Thank you. You made nine o'clock. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so did we want to stick with facilities to just complete complete this conversation or take a break from that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to give a facility advisory committee <clears throat> update. Sure. Um, so we met uh, few hours ago um, <laughs> and um, talked about the uh, capital uh, budget and as I shared took a vote uh, after a kind of discussion of the changes and uh, it was a unanimous um, kind of recommendation to support it so that was great um, excited for all the work the committee did to kind of help make that happen so really hats off to them um, beyond that we looked at the enrollment data as it related to kind of the impact on um, facilities as uh, Peter shared earlier and so you know had, had some of those questions and discussions that we kind of had here as well to get a, an understanding of the kind of the continued impact of enrollment on spaces for the current year and future years. Um, we, I shared an update on some investigatory work um, that we d did around uh, MATV, uh, who uh, obviously provide us this, this great space here. Um, and some, that was related to just some questions of 
services that are currently housed within schools um, that you know aren't necessarily like the operations of the school. So MATV being one of those. Central Office uh, was another one uh, that, that has been discussed in the past of just like things that maybe could they be moved out. Um, so was, MATV was nice enough to, to host me and, um, and talk to them in their space over at Pierce. Uh, which is a, a great little space. They keep it very organized. That was incredibly. <laughs> I've been in a lot of IT spaces. I know MATV is not quite IT, but they're usually very disorganized. So uh, I was impressed. Um, anyways, talked about them, and they're just they're you know are structural roadblocks to any uh, ability to kind of move move them out necessarily uh, to an alternate place that would still work for them and the needs of the their organization or to support the town. Um, it's not an absolute probably zero because there's some work happening right now with the fiber system kind of town-wide, but it would just require a lot of kind of cross-coordination between the school and the town and, um, you know, a big impact to obviously MATV to move them out of that space. Um, and it's overall, it's, I think, 400 square feet, although when I was in there, <laughs> I, I think I overstated what maybe it is, but... Uh, Chris uh, brought me down to earth and said, no, it's about 400 square feet. So it's not, it is a space that I'm sure could be valuable in the short term, um, but it's not a tremendous amount of space. It certainly doesn't solve all of their problems. And again, in the long term, if we pull and make Pierce two schools by making upper middle school, I'm sorry, Pierce two grades by creating an upper middle school, then the, the space impacts on Pierce long term should be minimal. Um, so anyways, that, that was another uh, just avenue we, we're looking at as we're continuing to look at kind of short-term space needs um, and I think that was it Anything else? Mm -hmm. no we're just really been trying to like I think having the facilities subcommittee we've been really trying to like revisit some of the things that we've looked at in the mm -hmm. past and like how to and having a fresh perspective having new members on the committee has been really helpful just to kind of and doing like the site surveys and all of these were all part came out of our you know our visits to all the schools so We've kind of been, and Mark did a great job last week, um, kind of, you know, meeting with MATV and um, just collecting this information. And I think it's really helpful to have all this information so we can make informative decisions, right? Like, and it kind of goes back to what you were saying in terms of like, hey, you know, it's nice to have that information there and really to communicate that out to the community, you know, that, hey, we're looking at all of these things. It's not just like, hey, this is a nice to have, but this is, We've explored all of our options, and we're making these requests based on that. So, um, so that's what we're we've been kind of doing on that committee, and you know, it's been great that everyone's been so supportive. So, thank you for just thinking outside the box, and you know, bringing uh, so bringing that energy to. having some exciting like real tangible changes to look forward to I know it's been a lot of work you all have been meeting a lot and thanks for that I just have an update anyone who's listening um, if you're on zoom and you don't see me right now talking you can go to YouTube to Milton Access TV and that's where the live feed is for viewing the meeting. Uh, 
the Zoom feed is for citizen speak and if there's a presentation for the slides. Just wanted to clarify that in case okay. I, I, when I went in there, there were four attendees. I wanted to make sure they knew they could get onto YouTube. Thank you for that. Yeah. <clears throat> um, okay, great. So the other piece under the um, chair's report this evening is a report out to you all about on um, last week's conference, the joint MASC-MASS conference that Peter and I attended on behalf of Milton. So um, thank you again for sending me as your delegate <laughs> um, to Hyannis. Um, I did, I brought you some souvenirs. Um, I only have enough for my fellow school committee members, so um, sorry about that, but these are Okay, this is a simplified chart of parliamentary motions. Oh, oh my goodness, it Mark. was so popular. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Peter here's were, you, were you there? No, they gave it to me at the training. Oh. oh. Okay, well then they probably already <laughs> gave you all of this, but if you need another pen, I'm bringing no, you I'll pens. Give and then did, did they give you one of these, Mark, at your training? Mark. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, no, I, I don't have a pen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he wants a pen. He definitely wants. <laughs> well, these are these are lapel pins that um, we're all supposed to wear from now on. It's <laughs> required. Uh, we'll be wearing these with our T-shirts when we get those. So yes, I was thinking of you all in the exhibit hall with the swag tables. Um, as far as what I actually took away of substance from the conference, I'm going to just give you a quick update. So um, it was actually a really robust agenda. There were, so it was there, it was three days. I was there for the first two days. Um, Peter stayed for the third day. Um, just to give you a feel for some of the sessions that I chose to attend. I was trying to think about what felt most um, different and pertinent to the work that we do here. I did attend a, a session on the role of the chair, so that was led by MASC, and um, that was the first session I attended, and it really <coughs> started, um, it, it started a sense that I carried through the whole conference that was really my main thing I wanted to tell you all, which is it really affirmed, I think, a lot of the direction that, Peter, you've helped us kind of take um, as far as the things we're considering and working on around governance um, and, you know, the, the ways that we're trying to work together collaboratively as a team. Um, I encountered, including in this uh, role of the chair session, so many colleagues from districts around the Commonwealth that are, I think, like not in as good a place as we are as far as their um, ability to work together as a school committee with the administration of their district. So I just felt really like positive about what we're doing here. Um, and at the same time, I did get some practical information like this, which, yeah, I, I didn't have that before. Um, I, we, had, we both attended a session called Getting the Message Right in a Crisis, 
um, which was a really helpful communications session led by professionals, but also superintendents and school committee members who reflected on examples of crises they've handled, um, kind of what they learned through those experiences. I was able to kind of jot down a lot of practical ideas for you know how to be proactive, but also how to respond. Um, I attended a session called Communities Divided. We were also both in that one about how to navigate polarizing issues. Um, and that was another helpful session to think about how we focus on, um, you know, being able to bring our community together um, and bring people along with the work that's happening in the district. So that was, I found to be really um, helpful. Um, in all of these sessions, of course, there are <coughs> fellow school committee members and superintendents mixed together who are like asking questions and sharing examples from their own districts. And a lot of them were really different from M Milton's context, but some of them were kind of similar and it was interesting to just um, see what, how other folks have handled different things. Um, I was able to attend a session that really um, showcased the system approach to supporting equity in Chelsea Public Schools. That was interesting to me, of course, because it was cross-functional. It was a w bringing together school <coughs> committee members, bless you, administration, student leaders, um, educators, community members who just kind of discussed the ways that they are all working towards their goals around equity in, in the district. Um, it was it was definitely very inspiring um, and then finally a session on legal issues which was important because that was run by some lawyers who really briefed us on recent court cases um, in Massachusetts and the implications for districts with regard to policy and um, law so um, that was all very interesting I, I attended the last part I'll tell you about, see if Peter has stuff to add and then take any questions you have. But I did as your delegate attend the uh, delegate assembly. It was, it was like about four or five hours uh, long. And w there was a lot of business about, um, you know, electing the next year's officers for MASC and so on. What you sent me there to do was to vote on the various resolutions that we had been through together. So I can just update you. Um, the METCO, the resolution one, which re was regarding um, advocating for full sustained funding of the METCO program, uh, that did pass. So we had supported that, that passed. Uh, the, the resolution two on the transportation bidding process also passed. There was no discussion on that. That was like basically unanimous support for that one. The regional transportation um, resolution was the third one. That had a lot of debate, um, ended up not passing by a small number. Uh, we, had, we had voted to support that resolution. I wanted to tell you that actually through the discussion, um, I, I, I sort of realized um, like some different perspectives on that that were different, really we hadn't thought through here. Um, but the, the reasoning behind voting no on that um, ultimately <coughs> for folks was to want to hold the state accountable for fully funding transportation as promised for these regional school districts rather than begin to charge fees to families 
um, as a way to close the gap and to not make the families pay for the state just not funding what it had committed to fund. So that didn't pass. The DEI position resolution was tabled after a great deal of discussion. The MSBA um, resolution passed. The school bus one about the law, about that was also tabled. Um, that was tabled because of the uh, implications for law enforcement and I guess the fact that that hadn't been factored in. The MCAS um, resolution was tabled after much discussion. And then the final one on um, safe storage of firearms was passed, but with an amendment that really reflected the discussion we had here, which was that um, what ultimately passed was the recommendation that the communication the superintendent would undertake to the community would happen in collaboration with law enforcement and public health officials um, sort of within the town and that would address the concern about one you know wondering whether it was the superintendent's role to really make a statement on that particular topic so there was a keynote from Commissioner Riley he really talked about themes addressing concerns of social media. Um, I just want you to know I was paying attention and I wasn't just sleeping. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't just enjoying some time away from my work and family. Um, the word that comes to mind is dutiful. Yeah, do you have anything to add? I, that was a great summary. Um, I mean, I guess I would just add it for me first time going there was it was nice just to make connections with people. So that was great. Um, I attended uh, another legal presentation, which was helpful. Got a primer on Chapter 70, which was good. Uh, just like an overview of Chapter 70. Uh, and got we got to hang out, too, and, and kind of talk a lot about the work as well. So that was also a highlight. And I thought the, the, the quality of, of the sessions was above average. It was good, yeah. Which, those of you that have gone to these things many times, like, Not it can be painful. <laughs> <laughs> it can be really painful. This was, I was pleasantly surprised, pleasantly surprised. Me too. So, just food for thought. What happened with the bylaws? For next year. Have we empowered you? Yeah, so the bylaws, that was, um, as we discussed here, that was really just like a pretty straightforward um, bookkeeping thing. They did explain the purpose of that was to just kind of clean things up, I think every three years or whatever. Um, so we kind of suspected that's what that was, but that is what that was. It was because otherwise they just uh, kind of backlog and are no longer relevant to, you know, whatever the issue might be. So there, it's just a process. Um, there are, you know, a lot of committed folks who serve on their own local school committees and then that guy who I, I forget his title, but I want to say he's the, now he's like the president in waiting, so that's not what it's called, but he's like the president-elect next year, not this year. We, we just got a new president. He'll be the president 
not elect. next year, maybe. President elect. I guess. <laughs> By then, honestly, I was just yeah. like, this is really, <laughs> this is really going on for a long time. But um, yes, he he did explain that, and it was perfunctory. Um, and these people commit a lot of time to MASC on top of their local school committee. So Mil Milton has, I don't think, ever sent anyone into that MASC, uh, you know. Could be the first. Yeah. If anyone just has extra <coughs> free time that you're looking to spend, you could be. That's so generous of you. Glenn, maybe there were people back Farther back. No. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so that's that's any questions? Other questions? Okay. Oh, thank you for attending. Yeah. Thank, thank you for attending. Yeah. Um. All right. So, finance. All right. So, I'm going to give you a very brief overview of the meeting today. Feel. So I think. Almost all of you at some point were present, so you can add richness to what I'm going to share. <laughs> um, Dr. Burroughs and Dr. Pavelcheck presented a um, compressed <coughs> budget timeline to allow, number one, greater discussion with the leadership team as well as the curriculum coordinators. And some of the goals that were highlighted were removing silos, building systems across schools, so the budgets are presented as a cohesive plan across the district instead of individual schools advocating for specific resources for their buildings. And there was a discussion around priorities and alignment. So ultimately what the school committee will see would have been a pre-vetted proposal that has been prioritized. And we did ask as a school committee if we need to add some dates on there so we can have it go engage in more dialogue around the proposal that we could. Um, then we had a brief um, discussion, just closing out the Q4 report. <coughs> At the previous meeting in October, there were a few questions that were asked about the report, and then we just had a discussion about revolving accounts. We also went through the Q1 report, and very brief Q&A based on the summary doctor document that Dr. Pavlicek shared. And we also mm -hmm. voted on the substitute staff rate, which I think we do have to vote on here. Um, it was voted on during the meeting itself. And we had some good dialogue about whether or not the rates were competitive in the region, to which the response was yes, so we're keeping pace, but it, we're not, you know, we're not racing to the top in terms of compensating substitutes greater than um, our competing districts, but we shouldn't have to um, lose folks that are within our, that our neighborhood, essentially, because the rates are, are different. And that's that's it. Anyone want to add anything? Good. We'll have to put that vote on the next yes, meeting. Yes, that's right. Yeah. It's yeah. not listed yeah. here. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's that's it. Okay, great. Um, are we talk? We did the Q one report. Yeah. Do yeah. we have to do anything with that? No. It's just for our information. We okay. did ask this. We asked Glenn at the end of last school year to start providing quarterly reports. So right. He's done it for the last two quarters. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Okay. So policy. 
Okay, so this is going to be super brief because we um, we spent the majority of our meeting trying to figure out a process on how we kind of tackle our policies. We currently have a lot. Some of them are outdated. A lot of them are outdated maybe. And we've been kind of, we haven't really, we don't really have a process on how we've been updating them. We're just kind of picking and choosing or things that, you know, uh, school committee members might bring to the attention of the committee and we've been kind of updating it that way. So. We wanted to, with um, Peter's insight, like really create a process that we can kind of move forward with, um, just like we're doing with the budget and all of those things, like having a process in place. So as committee members come in and out of the committees, the process has been established and figure out like this is how we're gonna tackle addressing, updating these policies or adopting new ones or rewriting ones that need to. So. We um, decided that we would tackle the low-hanging fruit um, and kind of just go through the ones that are pretty standard are, or are no longer relevant. So both Peter and Glenn are going to put a lot of work into that for our next meeting and kind of... Um, Glenn looks excited. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and then just kind of, you know, um, get those out of the way and really just kind of go through across the board and then focus on the ones that really need to be focused on or rewritten um, and spend the time there. So, do you wanna add anything? Yeah, I mean, maybe just um, that part of the review of all the policies is first trying to determine what's required, um, what has kind of a legal backing that maybe it's not required but good to have. Um, and we have a lot of policies that have, there, there might not be an MASC example at all. So these are policies that were created by a, a past school committee, um, may have been relevant at the time, still could be relevant now, may not be. Uh, we have found some outdated policies that are, we want to exercise, you know, sooner rather than later, just because they're not, they don't align with either current practice or, um, you know, they're, potentially a, lot, a liability if you know, they don't align with kind of how we currently operate. So we'll be kind of going through those and making sure that we've kind of determined. Um, I think one, one part of this is, you know, Lizzie shared kind of how long the process took, was it last year, with Section D that you worked on? So this work takes a long time. Uh, we, we feel like though there are a lot of great resources out there. We've um, made a bunch of calls and Cody has been really helpful um, in, in doing some of this research too. So I wanna thank, thank him as well. Um, we don't have to sit with each policy for a meeting when we know MASC holds it, we hold it, it's good to go, we can move on. So we're, you know, my, my vision of this process is it's gonna take some time, but I don't see this being a four-year process. I see us being able to do a lot of really good work on the front end to kind of get to a, a, a firm foundation and then some of the policies may take a little bit of time to go through and um, debate and, and talk about. Uh, construction of some policies probably need to happen too. So I, it's exciting work. <laughs> Thank you, Anna. As exciting as the conference that she just went to. <laughs>
No, you have to like good. to clean no, things. No, no, it's, it's like a. It's important. It's, it's important. I like to clean things. I I'm wash dishes. It's very important. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And work that Mark needs does. to happen. So yeah, it's great. I feel like everyone's <laughs> going to be volunteering for both policy Absolutely. and to go to the conferences next year. Sign me up. One thing we talked about, I forgot to say it, was having everybody go next year. Yeah, you should all go. We need to say it Only one of you needs to go to the delegate assembly. But I think all of us. <laughs> You're already sending somebody else? No, I know. Fearless I leader stepping up? I think Peter made a very good suggestion. But I you all should go. School committee yeah. alumni yeah. are yeah. encouraged yeah. to attend. No, I think it's a good team bonding experience. It's a good team bonding experience. They give yeah. a lot of know each other very free well. tickets for the bar. <laughs> do they? Oh, they do have a bar. And it doesn't have that was to left out of your report. Right I feel like <laughs> an yeah. should have led with that. Yeah. 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 That's right. Have fun. Mm -hmm. I second that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Thank you, Anna. Um, okay, facilities we've already discussed. Student representatives. So we met with the student representative from the Milton High School last Tuesday morning. Um, the one representative from each grade level, so there are four of them, and they have two advisor teachers, but the only one of them were able to be there. Um, I was only able to join on via the Zoom, so the audio wasn't that great. <laughs> so I can only read the room with that little screen in front of me. But overall, we, um, Dr. Burrow bring in a very good point about figuring out what school committee's boundaries are. Like what kind of questions that we can discuss about or deal mm -hmm. with, and what kind of issues might not even or should not come to us. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So we, the the student reps are uh, prepared to discuss the ins and outs of the school committees, um, and they're also trying to brainstorm the ways that they can uh, how they can get involved in upcoming meetings and events. So the teachers sent an email to the four representatives uh, asking them if they have time to join into our meetings. So maybe the four people on Zoom are <laughs> actually the student reps. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, they can now see us though, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so the next meeting that we have on our schedule is in December 19th in the morning. And that one, I will be in person, so I will be able to report back afterward. Um, but yeah, so. Is we don't meet that often, but they do meet quite often. They meet once a week or something like that, or once per cycle. Hmm. So, yeah, it was a great discussion. It was getting to know each other at that point. Would you like to add something? Uh, sure. Uh, <laughs> I mean, a great, great group of students, and I think they're excited, uh, you know, relative to talking about kind of the role. Uh, you know, it, it sounded to me, based on what we heard from the past, that it has been somewhat inconsistent. So that's kind of the first order of business we talked about was coming back together and really talking about really understanding the work of the school committee. Um, and then talking about, and I think this is work on the school committee side too, to talk about how to engage the students in a way that's meaningful and to put student voice at, you know, in the places where it's gonna be most impactful. Mm -hmm. So that's, that was that was what we talked about. They were excited about that, and um, I think 
Val and I are excited to continue to work. It's a great group. Yeah. Although only four. <coughs> yes. Thank you. So maybe we can hear back, the, not next meeting, but the meeting after that, mm -hmm. kind of in case there's something, um, a plan for them to participate or something like that. Sounds great. I mean, um, that's definitely the plan is for to, you know, once they understand. What we didn't want to have happen is just come to the meeting with no clear <laughs> understanding yeah. of how the meetings work, right? how you can engage. Yeah. Um, and in my experience, just having gone through lots of iterations of this, this pre-work is really important. Yeah. Um, in a lot of districts, the student reps will come forward and talk about events that are happening at the high school. That's primarily what I, I've seen, in, and this is both in Oregon and in Vermont. Um, so I, I think we can do a lot more, um, mm -hmm. which is, I think, what we're working on. We suggest that 30-minute uh, what happened at the school committee meeting thing, <laughs> podcast thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tell them to start that up. Yeah, 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 we suggested yeah. that. Yeah. Val brought that up. Yeah. <laughs> That they should do that, and they were they said yes, didn't they? Yeah, they're they're quite excited about that idea. Yeah, it's just the logistics and putting That's things good. together. Well, Bao, thanks for working on that, because I mean, we know here, but even I think going back, like it, this is like with other things we've discussed. It's we're we are here following like years of that lack of clarity around their role, you know. Mm -hmm. So I, I think we, sh we wouldn't expect it to become like clearer overnight, certainly. Um, and it is, it is a process, especially because the students turn over, you know, year over year. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, it reminds me almost of the, our efforts to bring governance, like clarity and structure to support the school committee. It's their, the representatives are connected to that for us too so I'm excited to see how this can go yeah thanks okay the last agenda item um, is the school com school building committee I think it's my turn is it my turn <laughs> don't remember I'm, I'm ready I'm, I can help you okay uh, um, uh, school building committee met on Monday. Uh, primary order of business was voting to approve or recommend that the select board uh, approve a um, contract for the new owner project manager, which again, we had selected previously and they, we've worked with uh, our town council and um, Nick Milano have worked with to kind of create a, a contract. So we had a draft. It was approved by the committee and I believe select board voted on it last night yes. uh, and uh, accepted it so it's great that means we have an owner project manager um, officially on board and that brings some much needed time and skill set to um, the school building committee uh, to kind of help really move things along uh, the second thing we discussed was the um, uh, request for services for an architect uh, and just the timeline for kind of bringing in the architect the importance of kind of crafting the RFS with the new OPM uh, and trying to get that out. Um, we didn't 100% finalize the timeline. Our original hope was to have 
an architect on board by the end of uh, January, kind of very beginning of February, given the upcoming holidays and kind of where we, we currently are, we have some concerns about getting there and so worried that might slip towards kind of the end of February, um, you know, and then just had conversations about doing whatever we could to not let it slip much because even though that doesn't seem like a big difference when you add that into trying to make sure that we have some good information to present at town meeting, prob probably unlikely that we'd have anything to like require a vote or for funding or anything, but do a presentation at town meeting. And then we had summer months where a lot of the stuff kind of falls by the wayside. And then we you know, really need to start having a firm plan to do some significant community engagement effort and community um, relationship building and, and listening. Um, then, you know, all that happens pretty quickly. Uh, the ultimate timeline we, we did discuss and we are kind of do think is feasible and we're working towards is kind of next fall uh, to have a, the hope is to have a plan by next fall to bring to the town to say, <coughs> Is what we're thinking and ask for full funding. Um, and so that would probably be, again, none of this is set in stone, but again, the initial conversation from the school building committee timeline uh, discussion was at, like the November election. Mm -hmm. uh, probably you do something at the same time as that so you don't have to pay for two elections and then town meeting, you know, maybe before that, maybe after that. I wasn't quite sure, but that, that kind of timeline to kind of bring a proposal in front of the town to, to get their voice heard and get a vote. So that is, those are the two primary things that we kind of discussed. The only other thing that I would add would be the land swap legislation, yep. which um, is still being worked on. Um, yes, the land swap vote passed here, but then we have to have a special legislation that gets um, approved and Unfortunately, sort of the timing and how things are moving, we're not gonna get to that until probably um, aiming for a vote in July. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna keep working with um, Timothy's office to um, ensure that that is moving along. And just to add to that, I think mostly that work is now being pushed forward by town council. Town council. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason for the July is because the legislature usually does this twice a year is our understanding. And once kind of in December, once is in July. They might, they sometimes do it at different points and so it might be before July, but that's our general expectation is that we weren't able to get everything that needed to be done in time for the December vote, so we'll be in kind of the next bucket in July. So we still kind of like pushing forward with school building authority as well in terms of funding? Yeah, that's a great that's question too. And so uh, we, we did talk about that. So we're, we're a little bit still on hold. We have not heard anything. Um, Sean was a little bit wary that we hadn't heard anything because I think last time we moved slightly more forward. Uh, we had done a, they did like a site visits um, mm -hmm. a few years ago uh, and thus far, and so we would have expected to hear by middle of November around now about that that hasn't happened that might mean nothing that might mean something we're not quite sure uh it, essentially we're still on the same timeline of the final decision is kind of middle of no, uh, december okay. after town meeting okay. um so you know it's a it's a wait and see so that, that's a fantastic point of the entire timeline i mentioned is a timeline assuming msba rejects us uh, okay. because if msba accepts us uh 
and we choose to go forward with MSBA, um, then the, we are now on their timeline, and that's a much longer timeline uh, if that's how we move forward. So that's a great question. And then in terms of the, the architect, um, like selecting that, like do they kind of propose different plans for the site? Like how do you kind of, what's the selection process for that? Yeah, so the selection process is like a qualifications-based selection, so they're not, they're not going to have like a finalized design uh, within that. They'll show, um, again, mostly this is my experience with like doing architect selections. They show kind of a very broad kind of design. Yeah, it's yeah. Most likely, I assume, it'll be based upon kind of some of the feasibility designs that have already happened uh, related to the school projects. Um, so just do kind of high-level boxes on a page, and then you they share kind of their experience and mm -hmm. their portfolio of like okay. similar yeah. projects they've done, and you know pictures of that. Yeah. And so you're selecting them based upon their their experience with similar types of you know uh, program designs and um, site issues, um, uh, and you know how they manage community engagement okay. processes in the past and things like that. And one of the big things around. The architect is, obviously, the ability to move forward with an architect is dependent upon the warrant article that's going to be in front of town meeting um, for uh, additional funding for the school building, which is around $400,000. So if that fails, then we just won't have any money for an architect or enough to do anything with an architect. Um, so that that's one. And then the second is, even with that funding, that is not that's not enough to get us to kind of like any significant, very significant uh, designs. It will be kind of initial, what we call feasibility and schematic design, some combination of those two phases. Okay. So it should be much, it should be more robust than what we've seen thus far, obviously, with just uh, the DRA studies, okay. but um, it, it won't be a finalized product. It will and would be that get us through to like next fall when we go back to? That is the hope. <coughs> that, that is the hope. That and that's part, that's gonna be part of the RFS process though, okay. of figuring out like what what do we ask the architect to do that we know kind of will, we hope will fit within this budget and then see what proposals we get from architects okay. uh, that kind of meet our needs. Okay. It is light on funding, um, right. uh, given I think the usual, the OPM joined and was like, you know, usually it's about 1% of construction costs. So if it's an $80 million project, right, that's $800,000 and so we are gonna have around 500,000 um, for the architect probably. Um, so it's, it's slightly light. Yeah. So the question is just, you know, wh what are we able to get with that and okay. can we get far enough? It's yeah. a possibility we have to come back to the town and ask for slightly more funding. We really don't want to do that. Okay. And um, I think what we're holding on to, just I'm sorry to interrupt, no, please, but please. what we're holding on to is that a lot of the feasibility uh, work yeah. that we would have embedded into mm -hmm. an engagement with an architect yeah. has been done already, mm -hmm. right? Okay. So some school district will engage the architect, but they haven't found a location. Yep. Right. So okay. in that sense, we've done some of the legwork already, and so <coughs> I think we're holding on to that yeah. as helping yeah. us okay. uh, to it. some extent. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Of course, enough great questions. We appreciate it. Thank you. So we can just approve our minutes. Mm -hmm. um, I'll make a motion to approve the minutes of the Melton School Committee meeting of November 1st, 2023. <coughs> Is there second. a second? Okay. Did anyone have any changes or edits? 
Okay. All in favor? Um, and did did you just abstain? Or you did it in favor? I was there. You were there for, for part of it, and then it just more noted more when you were <laughs> When you, yeah, okay. I can also not. I can abstain. No, no, I'm just, I didn't see what, whether you raised your hand or not. I think that's fair. Okay. So, great. Uh, next agenda. Um, Vote on the subpay. So, I know we'll have certain committee reports, we'll have finance, we will discuss the substitute pay rate increase to um, vote on that. We will, uh, will we have, we won't have policy yet, we won't have the student representatives, will we have facilities, our school building committee? We won't have facility advisory committee until January. Okay. Um, school building. I believe so. Definitely. We were talking yeah. about meeting on the 27th. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one thing we will be talking about as a full committee next meeting um, is picking back up the, the calendar conversation. This is in preparation, <coughs> like anticipating. Peter, you mentioned you've already begun to build it out. So we're going to um, have that continued discussion. Um, Anna, thank you for putting the folder. You, you mm -hmm. will have seen in our folder. Um, some of the research of other districts who have um, and sort of how they've approached holidays so those are there for us um, as we continue to do do our research um, and maybe perhaps we'll get more information in there prior to December 6th yeah. mm -hmm. um, but that is one thing we'll talk about are, are there any other I know there were some earlier ideas about having like a fall 23 data presentation or the um, are we are we anticipating any of those reports we've got a curriculum report coming uh, I'm not sure if it's our next meeting I can look at that it's on that calendar yeah it, it says it on that calendar it yeah. did um, uh, it's curriculum review number two yeah yeah. Okay, so we can anticipate that for December 6th. Mm -hmm. um, <coughs> annual report for review. Is, <laughs> what is that referred to? <laughs> we, can, we can figure this out offline. Um, does anyone have anything else you want to raise at this point? It's probably a copy and paste from the last year's that was yeah. put on. I'm not sure what, no problem. which annual well, report that was referred to. Okay. No okay. Um, yeah. Peter, when it, can you just remind, as far as your <coughs> entry plan um, findings, mm -hmm. when is that? So I'm working on those November, December. So that will be early January? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. Okay, great. Anything else? Okay. Um, well, is there a motion to adjourn? So moved. Second. All in favor? Okay. Thanks, everybody. Happy. Th